You know what I have found out in my years of living is that life is full of tests. First, you have the literal tests, you know, the ones that you had to take in school, of which I was never a big fan of. I always got really uh, uptight whenever tests come. It's just my nature. I want to do well, and so a lot of anxiety comes in, but that's just me. But, but the one I particularly disliked is what they refer to as the pop quiz. Um, they, they came at you with no warning with no notice, the teacher would just throw them at you to see if you were paying attention is really what it was all about. But in addition to these literal tests, daily, you and I deal with events and, and, and situations and circumstances that test us in the areas of our character, our integrity, and our faith. And these are also pop quizzes because they happen without notice. And they happen without warning. And yet through them, as our metal is tested, we begin to see exactly what it is that we're made of. And we find out very quickly if what we've learned and what we've been taught by the word of God is actually being lived out in our lives on a daily basis. So as followers of Jesus Christ, it is really important for us to remember that God is our ultimate teacher. By his spirit, through his word, he teaches us and he instructs us and he coaches us and this is his classroom and you and I are his students. So if you listen and you read and if you uh, learn and receive, he will equip you for your pop quiz test. You know, airline pilots have a classroom experience but it's not until they're in the air that they pass the test. Likewise, surgeons have a classroom experience, but until the scalpel is put in their hand, they can't pass the test until that happens. And we are having a classroom experience right now, like we do every single week. But it won't be until this afternoon or tomorrow or next week when you'll see if you learn today's lesson. So God uses these, these pop quizzes in our life on a regular basis by offering us opportunities to discover whether or not we have actually learned the lessons that we have been taught in this classroom. Webster defines a pop quiz as a short test given to students without prior warning by teachers in high schools and undergraduate programs and by Almighty God when proving faith. Oh, actually, I, I added that last part. My point is that we are in a classroom today and the question becomes, will you learn the lesson that God wants to teach you? Why? Because certainly there will be a pop quiz in your future. Well, Pastor David, I'm an adult and school and tests and quizzes are for another generation. I, I come to church to sit and listen and, and hopefully be mildly entertained. You offer me a couple of nice songs, a, a few humorous antidote, antidotes, and, and it'll make me feel all light and fluffy, and then I'll leave. Well, I wanna remind you this morning, I am not here to make you feel light and fluffy. If I'm gonna be an instrument used by the Holy Spirit to teach you the truth, I can't be that way, I cannot do that, because I know that what you are learning today is preparing you for your inevitable testings tomorrow. 
And as Christians, as men and women of God who live by faith, you can expect to be tested. It's going to happen. And so as we continue in our series this morning, titled The Blessing of Obedience, we see Abraham's pop quiz, and it begins in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bible if you'd like, but it will be up on the screen. I'm going to be covering several scriptures, and I'm going to be flying through them, so you can either follow or you can follow along. That's why we have them up there on the screen for you. Genesis 16.1 says this. I'm reading from the, the New King James Version. Now Sarai, Abraham, or Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Now I want to pause here for just a moment because we see Abraham's test even before we get to verse 2. Is he going to trust in God who is able to do the impossible by allowing his elderly barren wife to conceive a child or will he lean upon his own human understanding? Well, the same kind of question can be asked of you tomorrow or next week when a test will come your way in whatever endeavor you're, you're participating in. Will you trust in the God who is able to do the impossible or will you lean upon your own understanding? What will you do? What will Abraham do? Well, let's, I wanna start by looking at, at how certain God's promise was to Abraham. If you'll go back to Genesis chapter 15, verse two, it reads this way. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and have the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. God has given Abraham a sure word. He says, Abraham, you have made a complaint to me and now I have an answer for you. I want you to come out here and I want you to look at the stars in the sky. Can you number them? No, you, you can't possibly number them, but I am promising you that your family will outnumber the stars of the sky. That's my promise to you. But Abraham says, Lord, I don't think I need to remind you that I'm now 85 years old and when you gave me that promise the first time, I, in, in Genesis chapter 12, I was only 50. That means I have waited 35 years for children and I still don't have them. And because I don't have them, Lord, I'm becoming a little weak in my faith. And because I'm a little weak in my faith, I'm looking at my circumstances and I'm questioning all of these things and I'm asking myself, is it really time to trust in the God, my God, who is able to do the impossible, or is it time for me to step out and offer God a little bit of my own help? You ever been there? You ever foolishly gone and tried to give God help? I wanna stop here for a minute. There are thousands of promises that we find in the written word of God, and we all love the promises. But the rub comes 
when the promise is delayed. And what happens is we begin to think, uh, God, I know that you've given me this promise and I know what I'm supposed to do, but that thing that you said you would do, I'm sorry, but you haven't done it yet. We become so impatient with God. But again, the, the, the pop quiz asks, will you trust in the God who is willing to do the impossible or will you lean on your own understanding? Certainly, you and I can lean on our own human understanding, but I want to remind you of who it is that makes these promises to you. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, it says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Some of you, you know that verse by heart. And you say, yeah, nothing is too hard for God. But down to the core of your very being, do you believe it? Do you believe it enough that tomorrow when you are faced with your own personal pop quiz, you are able to say, I know that God is able to do far above anything I ask or imagine or think. Therefore, I'm holding on to that promise. Or are you going to? Go the other direction. Jeremiah says in this verse that there is nothing too hard for you, Lord. In other words, there will never be a time when you can say to God, you can't do this. But sadly, here's what we do. We put God into classifications and categories, equal to or just a little bit higher than man. So if something seems easy for man, then we think, oh, that, that's an easy task for God. But if it's something that is really hard or impossible for man, well, then we think that it's hard and impossible for God. And within that little lack of faith that we all carry around with us at sometimes, we bring God down to a level with our human understanding. And that's not good. And therefore, we never trust enough or even ask God sometimes to show up and to do what he's, been, what he's been famous for doing throughout the centuries. God wants to blow your mind by showing you his wonders. And today, you need not just to believe that, but you need to take it seriously. And you need to take it personally. God is not just good for other people. He is good for you and he holds true to his promises to you. Not the other guy, yes, the other guy, but to you. And you've gotta remember that. Some of you are at a major crossroad in your life today. It could be a crisis in your finances, in your family. It could be a physical illness. It could be an occupational crossroad. You're right at the point of being tested. And God is asking you today, will you trust me? And you're saying, well, I'd love to trust you, God, but the, the thing that I'm asking you to do is just so difficult, it, it looks impossible. Listen, if you are facing something absolutely improbable today, and you're thinking, I just can't see any way out, will you please grasp this little bit of truth this morning? If it looks impossible, you serve a God who specializes in doing the impossible. Get that into your mind today. You know, sometimes people approach me and they will say, 
please pray for my friend or, or my loved one because their hearts are, are so hard and they're living such a horrible life. And I'll say, have you invited them to church? And they'll say, no, 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 I'd never do that. They're an impossible case. Or sometimes people will say, will you please pray for that God will bless my, my finances? And I'm sorry, but as a pastor, my next line is always, okay, but are you tithing? And then they look at me as if I didn't even hear their request. There's give and take in a relationship with the Lord, folks. You are blessed when you bless. It's the way God operates. So I just want to say to you, if, if you are going to use your eyes to determine what faith should look like, then you're simply walking by sight. Bible tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. It, but if you've decided that you are going to use God's word as your guide to determine if what he says he's going to do, he will do, then my friend, you won't make the mistake that Abraham made. So here is Abraham's response to his pop quiz. He's feeling like God has not come through within the time frame that he established in his own mind. God never gave him a, a timeline. He just gave him a promise. And now he's hearing the words of his wife, Sarah. Look at Genesis 16, two. So Sarah said to Abraham, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Here's what I see. I see a well-intentioned man who has been given a promise by God, but he's struggling spiritually. Have you ever been there? And very nearby is his wife saying, honey, I see this struggle that you are going through, so I have an idea, I have a suggestion. And being the industrious wife that she is, she is going to help God out. How? Well, look at the way it's worded again in verse two. See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. You catch the spirit of her offer? She's saying, I'll take charge here, Abraham. Something is broken. Let me help you to fix it. I'll take charge. You've no doubt heard the, the saying, that the best man for the job is a woman. Well, in this case, Sarah takes it literally. But let me tell you why this is such a big mistake. Men are very different than women, in case none of you have noticed. Not only do we have different parts, but we have very different hearts, men. And our hearts are linked to the roles and responsibilities that God has ordained for us. God has given man, or in this case, Abraham, the responsibility to lead the family. And it is exactly at this point when he should have risen to the occasion in faith and he should have said, listen, honey, thank you for that suggestion, it's very generous, and I know it must be difficult for you to comprehend what happened that night when God took me out and, and had me look up at the stars in the sky, but it was a very real and it was a very holy moment, and God gave us a problem, a promise for our family, and I'm going to hold on to that promise, so let's just trust God to make true on his promise. Are you with me on this, babe? But Abraham doesn't do that. 
Instead, he wavers in his faith and he, and he says, let's see, I'm 85 years old. The promise God gave me was when I was 50 years old. What's that, honey? Trust in the God who is able to do the impossible or sleep with your young maidservant? Well, let me give that some thought. And I hate to put it that way, but it's exactly what's happening here. This is a serious matter. When, when a woman looks at her husband's lack of faith and she determines, if you're gonna lack in faith, sir, husband, then I'm gonna to have to rise to the occasion and I will meet your deficiency of faith with my determination and I'll get the job done. And here's why this is so serious. Ladies, here's a simple truth. If you try to take a man's job, most of us men will let you have it. I didn't hear any amens on that. <laughs> because all you guys are afraid to say it, but you know it's true. I'm one of you. And you ladies have seen it far too many times, so you can go ahead and say amen to that. All right, there you go. I'm sorry, guys, don't be mad at your wife. She's just speaking the obvious. Take the spiritual leadership role in the home as an example, a job that it has, or God has ordained us men to perform. This morning, all across America, we have women waking up and asking their husbands, are we going to church today? And when the husband stands there like a deer in the headlights, completely mute and oblivious in his response, the wife then says, well, if, if you're not gonna take the kids to church, then I will. And here's the typical response with a remote control in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other hand while he's watching the ESPN pregame show. All right, babe, that's fine with me. You know, if you want the kids to know about Jesus, then yeah, you go ahead and take them. And can you bring me another, can you give me a refill on this before you go? <laughs> and many women, knowing that their husbands are this way, are doing the husband's job because they know that they can do it better than we are or we can. And we see women stepping up and they're providing the role that God intended for the husband to do. And they're doing it quite well, I might add. But when that role reversal takes place, when the woman has to step up and say, I'll just take on the role in this household of being the spiritual leader. The result of that is, we are now living in a culture of spiritually emasculated men. Because of their apathy, many husbands and many fathers have painted themselves into a corner. And they begin to feel powerless to change anything. Why? Because here's what a lot of men think. Your ideas are better than mine, and you're more spiritual than I am. And if my apathy allows me to live a little bit longer on Lazy Street, then I don't mind. I'll let you do the job. And let me say something to all of you men here today. I've seen this far too often in the church. And gentlemen, this is not at all God's plan for our lives. I'm sure that Sarah was only trying to be helpful. Also, I want you to keep in mind that in her day and in her culture, if a wife could not conceive and bear a child, it was customary to offer up the maidservant. But let's not forget this 
where this, this maidservant, Hagar, originated from. She was an Egyptian. And as we learned last week, because she was an Egyptian, that makes her a type of the world. Remember we talked about types last week? She is a type of the world. So we have a type of the world being made available to Abraham, the father of the faith. And the mindset has now become, if God isn't able to keep his promise, then we can always go back to the world. But is that really the only option going on here? Shouldn't this be the time to rise up in faith and say, God, I'm going to take the next two days to pray and fast about this and be a man of faith and be a man of integrity. I'm gonna bring my family together and we're gonna walk through this trial together because you've given me a promise that I'm believing in and I'm not giving up. Or is it a time to say, okay, honey, well, since God's not coming through, I guess I'll go ahead with this Hagar thing as you've suggested. Since God could not pull off giving me a son, I'll sleep with the maidservant instead because obviously God needs my help in this matter. And as the last sentence in Genesis 16:2 says, and Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. By the way, if you're new here and you haven't been in this series, Abram's name is later changed to Abraham and Sarai's name is later changed to Sarah. So I'm going back and forth between Sarai and Abraham, but most of the time you're gonna hear me say Abraham and Sarah. I just wanted you to get that right. You're going, why is he reading it that way? That's the story, I just want you to know that. But there's so much more to this story than meets the eye. Do you remember how Hagar entered Abraham's and Sarah's life to begin with? Abraham was on his way, if you'll recall, to the promised land, but there's a famine going on in the land and he chooses to take a detour from God's plan and he goes to Egypt instead. And Sarah, his wife, is so beautiful that Pharaoh says, that woman has gotta come to my house unless she's married. Well, Abraham was in fear for his life and he says, no, no, I'm not married to her, she's my sister. And Pharaoh says, well, if this is your sister, then let me treat you with dignity and honor. Here's some sheep and some camels and some male and female servants. But Pharaoh eventually figures out that Sarah is Abraham's wife and the correction is made and she returns to her husband. But Abraham, like a game show contestant, still walks away with all these wonderful parting gifts. All of these sheep and oxen, and and, and camels, and male and female servants that Pharaoh gave him, one of which was this girl named Hagar. Now, we never hear much about male servants, do we? But it appears that Hagar must have gotten rather close to Abraham and Sarah because she becomes Sarah's maidservant. She becomes a servant who lives with them in their home and is deeply involved in much of their personal life. So let me point out the obvious to you here. Hagar was an Egyptian. And since Egypt is a type of the world, then they just invited the world into their home. And whenever you invite anyone or anything who represents the world into your home, you can expect that there is going to be some struggle and there is going to be some conflict. And that's exactly what is going on here. I wanna take a detour for just a minute and go to Luke chapter eight, verse 22. It'll be up on the screen. And it says this. 
Now it happened on a certain day that he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And the windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. Okay, here's the question. Will Jesus get his disciples to the other side of the lake? After all, the scriptures say they were in jeopardy. Honestly, I have to ask myself, are are you really in jeopardy if Jesus is on the boat with you? How much trouble could they actually be in? Luke 8, 24 through 25 says, and they came to him and awoke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Let me pull out a phrase in that that sentence, which is really a rebuke from Jesus. Where is your faith? Because that has an application for today's message. You're in a storm, and you're given a promise from Almighty God that you're going to get to the other side. But as the wind blows and the water starts to rise, you start to get worried. So are his disciples faulted because they woke Jesus up? No. And is it wrong for you to call upon the name of the Lord? Absolutely not. What you've got to understand, it is not the action that that Jesus rebukes. It is their attitude that he rebukes. If you're in troubled waters and you say, God, I need some help. Well, that's one thing. But when you come to God with the attitude, I'm dying over here and you don't seem to care and I can't believe you've completely forgotten about me, that's when Jesus says to you, where is your faith? In other words, he's saying, how embarrassing. Don't you know me? Haven't I proven myself to you in your life enough times? Didn't I give you a sure word that we were going to get to the other side of the lake? I don't mind you calling on me, but, but with this attitude, I'm dying and you don't care. How can you sleep in the hull of the boat while we're drowning? He responds, where is your faith? What I just said there is for somebody here this morning. It is very personal. Because the way I see the body of Christ react to difficulty and hardship often makes me ask, didn't you read the good book? Did you miss out on that class about going deeper in your faith? Did you miss that famous chapter in the book of James, the one that says when trials and difficulties come your way, it's your opportunity to consider it pure joy? Because you know that in the testing of your faith, you're going to produce character and you're going to be complete and you're going to be less wanting because God is going to put something inside of you while he takes something from outside of you that doesn't really matter to you at all. Where is your faith? Let's get back to Abraham. Because as I read his story, I oftentimes want to say, come on, Abraham. And it's so easy being an armchair quarterback, isn't it? I love, I love Monday mornings of football talk. When you talk to guys who are passionate about football, well, I thought I'd, I'd have thrown the ball, I'd have flea flicked it over there. It's going, yeah, in real time, you wouldn't even, you'd have, 
You'd have fallen on the ground crying and hoping those men wouldn't jump on you. That's what the average man would deal with in NFL football. But it's easy to be an armchair quarterback. We've got the solution all figured out because we've already seen what happened. You're going, well, I would have done, I'd have shucked and jived and I'd have done this and it would have happened. I want to say, what's wrong with you, Abraham? You're the father of the faith. It's time for you to step up and be the man of faith. Don't just give in to Sarah's suggestion. You're about to make a big mistake. And perhaps the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to someone here this morning. And you're about to make a major, huge mistake. And God says to you this day, trust in me. Believe in me. I can do the impossible. And my promises are true, as is my word. But too many of us listen to the faithless words that are being spoken by our culture and by our world. They say, God made that promise to you a long time ago. And I can see that you're tired and, and, and you're weak in your faith. So it's time for you to rely on your own resources. Nobody's going to take care of you better than you. And guess what? You're right there at your proverbial pop quiz. You've got to make a decision. Well, here's what happens in Genesis 16, three through six. Then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her, do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So first, God gives Abraham a pop quiz. Are you going to trust in, the, in your God who is able? And secondly, Sarah gives this simple suggestion, sleep with my maidservant and we can have children that way. And thirdly, Abraham gives a very apathetic agreement. Honey, if you think it's best to sleep with the servant, then, then okay. But here's where an even greater mistake is made. Gentlemen, it is one thing for you to hear a suggestion, but it's a whole different ball game for you to say, fine, I'll have a relationship with the world in order to accomplish the objective that evidently God is incapable of doing. But can I remind you of how many times a man's apathy has led to greater sin and heartbreak on planet earth? Just go back to the Garden of Eden. Eve was having a dialogue with the devil in the form of a serpent. And the Bible says she takes a bite of the forbidden fruit. And then she passes it over to her husband. Now, if she just hands it to, to Adam, where do you think he was while that was all going on? Obviously, he's standing close enough to hear his wife's dialogue with the devil, and yet he does nothing about it. And that is apathy. 
Why doesn't he stop her and say, uh, honey, I think it's best for you to get away from that serpent. He's starting to tempt you, and I know that's not a good thing. Come on over here. I'm going to save you from all of his nonsense. But instead, we see him asking, well, what did he say, honey? Well, he said, it's all right to eat it. Well, then, okay, let's eat it. It's all good. <laughs> or look at King David, 2 Samuel 11.1. 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So all at that time of the year, all the kings go out to battle, but David decides to send Joab and his army instead of going himself. Apparently, David has arrived to a place where he doesn't think he needs to go out with his men anymore, which was customary for a king. And besides, battling, you know, that requires a commitment and prayer and focus and, and sweat and blood, something he just didn't feel like dealing with at that time. And so David stays back in the palace while his men are battling. And he walks out on his balcony, and there he sees a woman bathing on the rooftop, and for the first time, David sees Bathsheba. Why does he see her? Well, the point is that he wasn't supposed to have seen her because he wasn't supposed to have been there. He was supposed to have been out in battle with his men. But instead, he takes on this attitude, you guys go ahead and, and be faithful and fight for, for God and country, but I'm gonna kick back and I'm gonna watch some television. I've earned this right. That's apathy. Amen. And what about Eli? who was the high priest in that day, grown very apathetic, so much so that God sends a prophet to him who says, Eli, God says you gotta get your act together as a family or he's going to judge your household. First Samuel 3, 12 through 13 says this, in that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Another translation says he hadn't disciplined them. The prophet tells him, your sons are scoundrels, Eli, and you won't discipline them because you are apathetic. So they are going to die a terrible death in battle. And not just that. But I gotta tell you, the presence of God, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant is gonna be stolen and it's gonna be taken away from you. And sure enough, what the prophet said happened. 1 Samuel 4, 17. So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas are dead and the Ark of God has been captured. You see, the scriptures tell us that Eli was old and he was overweight. This was obviously describing his physical condition, but we can also draw, draw some insight into his spiritual life because Eli wasn't just physically blind, but he was spiritually blind. God was warning him to focus on the spiritual condition of his two sons, but Eli just blew God off and he got tired and out of touch spiritually, and he lost sight of what was really happening to his family. And the Bible says that he's leaning back in his chair when the messenger comes and gives him this news. Hey, remember that warning from God about your boys and the ark? Yeah, well, the presence of God is gone. It's been stolen. And guess what? 
your two sons are dead. And that news that shouldn't have surprised Eli did. And his chair slips out from underneath him and he breaks his neck right there and he dies. Well, Pastor David, that's not a very encouraging story to tell me this morning and I get that, but it's in the Bible nonetheless. And not all the stories in the Bible end happy, okay? They end real and they end based on the promises and the warnings of God. So gentlemen, and I include myself in this question, how do you want your story to end? Adam, David, Eli, and even Abraham are a bit apathetic. I'd like you to write the word apathy down and I'd like you to, to, I wanna give you a few synonyms to go along with that. Indifference, unconcerned, lethargic, bored. Listen, I know it can be difficult living a righteous life. It doesn't come without its challenges. And I know after a day of hard work or after a week of hard work, maybe you don't feel like leading your home in spiritual matters. And in your weariness, it is very easy for you to throw that responsibility off on your wife and allow her to fulfill the role that God called you to do. But let me remind you of what Galatians 6, 9 says. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I am encouraging all of you today, both men and women, don't give in to apathy. It's the greatest killer of true faith in God. When you get weary and your faith is weak, don't let other people step in and create a new solution for you for your yet fulfilled promise that God has made to you. Don't say it's been 30 years since God made that promise to me and he, and he hasn't come through yet and I'm really tired because the Bible says don't grow weary in doing good. Why? Because it's generally at that time and in that season when you are feeling a bit worry, weary from doing good that God shows up and he does the miraculous. And had you walked away from it, you would have never seen the miraculous. Understand folks, this is your daily pop quiz. Let's look at Genesis 16, five and six again. Then Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord's judge between you and me. So Abraham said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. That was another translation. I see I didn't use the same translation on that. I apologize. Allow me to offer you a modern day spin on what we just read. You and your wife are out taking a walk in the neighborhood and through an open window, you hear a couple arguing. I don't know, has that ever happened to you? It has happened to me before. I've gone by houses and heard people screaming at each other. And you hear these words, you've mistreated me. What? You gave me your maidservant. Yeah, but you slept with her. Well, you told me to because we needed a son. Yeah, but I didn't really mean it. You should have said no, because she's now treating me wrong. So what are you gonna do about her? Well, she's your maidservant. Do with her what you want. And as you're walking by, you're thinking to yourself, my goodness, this is coming from Abraham and Sarah's house, the father of the faith. They must be heathens. 
We need to pray for these two. So here you have the mighty man of faith and his wife having an argument about who invited the world into their home in the first place. And I want to just say this morning, on a side note, it's very easy to be critical of Abraham. When the fact is, we bring the world into our homes in much more subtle ways, don't we? It comes in high definition format. And it's called Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and and many others. My point is that too many of us sit on the sofa watching visual garbage. And we bring the world into our homes and into our minds where it has no place. And it is full of imagery that stimulates thoughts and desires and lusts, and yet we act as if it's no problem when it clearly is. Okay, you've just crossed the line, Pastor David. You're meddling in my business now. I already told you I'm not here to make you feel warm and fuzzy. That's not my job. And here's why I even take the time to mention this, because it's simple. We say we are hoping to grow spiritually, but do you really think that's going to happen when you have that kind of an environment of the world in your own house? We've all got to be careful about how much of the world we allow into our homes if we really want to grow spiritually like we all say we want to. But that's another sermon for another day. And I'll leave that with you to digest, but it's just another bit of truth free of charge from your pastor. So let's get back to Abraham's story. Hagar runs from Sarah because of the turmoil that's going on in her home. In Genesis 16, 11 through 12, it says this, and the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, a wild donkey of a man is what one translation says. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Ishmael is the name of the baby that came from Abraham and Hagar. And it ends up birthing the Arab world as we know it today. Isaac is the son, the seed that naturally comes from Abraham and Sarah after this event that God promised who will birth the nation of Israel. And as we discussed on the first Sunday of the month and of the year, the ramifications of this error in judgment on Abraham's part is huge. It is monumental because to this day, there is still conflict between the brothers of Ishmael and the brothers of Isaac in the Middle East. So whenever you invite the world into your home, folks, there will always be trouble. And as much as we pray for peace in the Middle East, it will not occur until the Prince of Peace comes to rule and to reign there. Likewise, there will never be peace in our personal lives and in our homes until we allow the Prince of Peace to rule in our hearts and in our family and in our home completely. So I've come here this morning to say to you, it's time for us to get serious about the promises of God. It is time for us to say no to the world and to its knee-jerk 
quick solutions. It's time for us to say, no more am I inviting the world into my home. It's time for us to confess our apathy before God. It's time for us to say, I'm sorry, Lord, for caring too much about the things of this world and not caring enough about the things of your kingdom. And men, it's time for us to stand tall with some steel in our spine and say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord and I will take the leadership role in doing that. I don't care what people think. I don't, I don't care what the world is doing. I am going to stand firm in my faith because I believe that what you have for me, God, will be far greater than anything this world or I could manufacture on my own. And therefore, I fully submit my life to you. It's time for us to stand on the promises of God, High Point. Scott, will you guys please come forward help me to close this down and you can all please stand to your feet. How many of you here today could say, I fight with apathy sometimes? How many men could say, I need to be a better spiritual leader in my house than I am? How many of all of us could say, I often take matters into my own hands instead of allowing God to see me through? How many of us could say, I realize I have invited too much of the world into my own home. Guess what? Abraham could say all of that too. And he even acted in his apathy. But eventually God was able to fulfill his promises to Abraham, but only after Abraham became fully obedient to God. Thus the name of this series, The Blessing of Obedience. This is when he received his blessing. This is when he received his promise. It was through his obedience. And I wanna keep hammering this point home through this series. It's never too late. It doesn't matter what the trajectory of your life is at this moment in time or what it's been lately. It's never too late. I don't care how apathetic you have become. I don't care about the mistakes that you have made by doing things your way, we all have. It can be all put behind you immediately when you give it all back to the Lord. You see, there's this beautifully wonderful thing called grace. And the song says that it's amazing, because it is, it's amazing grace. And it flows to you from the throne room of God. And it is active and it is vital and it is available to you and I. When we fall short, when we take things into our own hands and when we mess things up, he forgives us and he puts our feet back up on the path that he has planned for us over and over and over again. And when we become fully obedient to his plan, Man, that's when the blessings really start to flow. I wanna open up this altar this morning to anybody for any reason. This altar at this church is a place where we go to lay down our burdens and our needs and and our fears and our doubts before the Lord. It's where we go to receive his grace and his mercy 
and his forgiveness and his power. And as you've been listening this morning, I'm sure you can identify with Abraham's actions because you too, like me, have been impatient with God. And you too, like me, have often taken things into your own hands instead of trusting God. Well, maybe this is something that you need to take to the Lord this morning. Lord, I don't like the fact that I am such an impatient individual. I don't like the fact that I, I, I'm willing to give you like 24 hours <laughs> and then my faith starts to wane. It's like, he waited 30 years and God answered. God gave him his promise. Perhaps you need a physical touch this morning. Maybe you've gotten a bad diagnosis from a physician. I want to remind you that our God is the great physician. And that on that cross, he not only bore our sins, but he bore our sicknesses and diseases. Very appropriate to come down and pray, receive healing from God. He is still in the business of healing people. Maybe you have a financial need this morning. Well, he's not called Jehovah Jireh for no reason because that means God is your provider. And I know we tend to look at, at our circumstances and say, well, if I could, maybe I borrow money here, or I, you know, I can talk to this person or whatever. And again, we're, we're working it all out in, in, the, in the fleshly realm of how we're gonna get out of this jam we're in. And sometimes we don't even think to say, God, this thing is so big, I don't even know how it's gonna happen, but I'm trusting you to make it happen. All oh, the stories I could tell you, not just in my personal life, but people that I know who have been in deep financial stress and how God was faithful and how God pulled them out of a mess and they've never been the same since. They trust him in everything. Perhaps you have a relational need this morning. God is able to heal the relationship. If you're here today and you're in a marriage and you're struggling in your marriage, man, Take your wife by the hand and ask her if she'd like to come down to the altar and pray with you. He is capable of bringing people together through forgiveness and reconciliation. Whatever you have going on in your life today, I urge you to not be like Abraham and believe that you can fix these things on your own. I have found that whenever I've done that, I have only made things worse. That's why we go to our source first and we stand upon the promises of his written word. So while the worship team sings, I'm gonna open this altar. I wanna spend some time in prayer at this altar. I want you to seek the only one who can heal, the only one who can provide, the only one who can strengthen, the only one who can empower, the only one who can guide us. Pastors will come along, we'll lay hands on you and pray for you and after a time of prayer, we will close this service in a closing prayer. But while the worship team sings, please come forward, lay your burdens down at the foot of the cross. While those at the altar still pray, continue to pray and they can pray as long as they would like. Like you bow your heads and we'll close this service in prayer. Father, we thank you as always for your word. We thank you that you are a God of the miraculous. We thank you that as the scriptures say, there is nothing that you cannot do. The only thing we're not thankful for, Lord, is our lack of faith. That faith comes from a deeply committed relationship with you and seeing you work in and through our lives. And the longer we serve you, Lord, 
as that old song says, the sweeter you grow and the more we learn to trust in you. So I pray for both new believers and old seasoned believers who've been with you for a long time, Father. And I just pray that you would bolster our faith. We see things going on in this world that we haven't experienced before. There's a lot of fears, a lot of anxiety about the economy and the world order and, and, and what's going on, obviously, in Israel. And Lord, we realize that your plan is in action and, and we realize that it will be fulfilled exactly as you've spelled out in your word. But in the meantime, Father, let us trust you in all things. Never let us fear the future. We may not know what the future holds precisely on a timeline, but we know who holds our future. And we know, Lord God, that you have our best interests in mind. And so I pray that we would be faithful to you, that we would be obedient to the things that you have called us to do. We don't know how much time we have left here. Father, you could rapture your church tomorrow, tonight, in an hour. We don't know. But Father, let us be ready. And until that time comes, let us be fully engaged in trusting in you and giving you our all and allowing you to provide blessings into our life that only come through our obedience. Father, I pray for this body of believers that we would become the most obedient bunch of Christians that you have ever encountered. That we would be true to you in all the things that you ask us to do without hesitation. And we would then see your blessings flow out on us in ways that we never imagined or could seem possible. That's how you operate, and so we thank you. Father, I just ask that as we go our separate ways today, that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have. Lord, let those conversations be ones that build people up and not tear them down. Let us leave here shining like bright lights in a very, very dark world. And that, that, that brightness is the love of Jesus that flows in and through and out of us to other people. Let it be so evident that people will come to us and say, what's different about you? And, we open up, and you open up the door for us to share about Jesus with them. Father, I pray for a holy encounter this week for each one of us. That someone will cross our path and we'll have the opportunity to tell them about your goodness and invite them to come to church with us so that they can come to know the Savior who we love so well. And Father, I also ask that between now and next week, you would keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us, from any sickness or disease that might come against us so that we can come together whole and complete as a body and worship you in spirit and in truth. I thank you for your presence here today, not just in our lives, but tangibly in this building. And I thank you, Father, for the truth in your word. And I ask as we go our way today that we would go in the love of Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here.